Do you ever just want to hear how the famous found fame? How the poor man became a millionaire? How risking comfort gave someone more freedom? Honestly, do you ever just wonder if everything will be okay? Welcome to the Y'all Podcast, where everyone has a seat at the table. I'm your host, Laura Jean Bell. In this space, I will share stories about life, Jesus, and the South, stories of the past and the ones that are still being written to instill hope without fear of the future. Meet with me around the table, sharing tales about the lives of others, of business and risk and heartache and joy and failure and success. Let go of the fear that hopelessness is your destiny and fill up on the encouragement that mercies are new each day. Because the best thing about a story is that there is a beginning and an end. Y'all, today I feel like such a fangirl. I had the incredible honor to interview Sean Dietrich last summer. Sean, also known as Sean of the South, is a storyteller and writer from the beautiful panhandle of the Sunshine State. A few years ago, as his blog was booming, my aunt got me a ticket to come listen to him at a small chapel in our hometown. I laughed out loud, I cried my eyes out, felt chills down my spine, and repeat the whole show. Sean has a way of making the South come alive with stories and life memories of good and hard truths in his life. I was set to go to his book signing for his new book, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? But it was set for March of 2020, and we all know how that month turned out. So much to my surprise, he agreed to let me interview him, fangirl over the interview, and he left us with a beautiful conversation. Please help me welcome the warm, kind, incredible author of multiple books and seanofthesouth.com, Mr. Sean Dietrich. Well, I'm glad that you chose to come on the show today. Thank you so much. I um I first heard about you from my sweet aunt, Jenny. She, she sent me a message one day and she said, there is this guy. I started following his blog. This was years ago. And he writes a story every day and it's just right up your alley. I think you should, you should subscribe to his blog. And then about six months later, you came to speak at the chapel at, on the hill at the waters in Montgomery, Alabama. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I at Pike Road. This was maybe three, four years ago. It was, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's, it's been, been a while. while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was hooked and I, I love storytelling. I love stories of the South, especially and stories of hope. And that's really what this podcast is about. And so I just thought I have got to have him on the show. Like you are, you're just the prime person that needs to be talking to people and people hearing your voice and what you have to share. Um, so let's get started. Who are you? Where are you from? Tell us just kind of your life from beginning to now, if you want to, or just where you are right now, just a little introduction of who you are. Sure. Well, my name is Sean Dietrich. Uh, I was born naked at a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I was born in Missouri and, and we moved to the Florida panhandle when I was a boy, which is where I call home. I've really never known a solid home uh, it feels like sometimes because we moved so much, but we 
always kind of centered around the Floridian Panhandle. I live in Walton County, Florida now, which is kind of divided up into two worlds. You got the really, really rich folks who live on the beach or close to it. Mm-hmm. And you got the yeah. other folks <laughs> like me <laughs> who uh, live close to the bay. And you got the north side of the bay and you got the, uh, the south side of the bay. We live on the south side of the bay. So we're about three miles from the beach, one mile from the Choctatchee Bay. That's where I live. Um, nice. As far as, you know, my own personal history, it's kind of peppered. I mean, there's there's a whole lot to, to tell, so I don't know how much you want. But uh, when I was uh, a boy, my father committed suicide, and we had a, a rough go of things after that. Uh, Kind of mental illness uh, has a way, and he was definitely mentally mentally ill, has a way of spreading to the family maybe around it. So we kind of coped with what he left, kind of ground zero. Uh, I got out of school when I was in the seventh grade. I think I was a few months into my seventh grade year when I dropped out. And I never went back until I was a grown-up. And... Um, then I went to a community college, and I got all my equivalency courses out the way, and then I went into college, and then I went uh, to finish all that up, which took me a lot longer than it should have, <laughs> but I did it. Uh, and that's really when I started writing. I started writing after and during that. I mean, I've always been writing since I was a child, about f- fifth grade is when I can really remember being bit by the biting bug. But I wrote uh, yeah. in earnest after uh, and during college, uh, and it seemed to be one of the only things that I did that ever worked for me. Uh, you know, I've had every job under the sun. I've worked a lot of jobs as a construction worker. I feel you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've really yeah. never known how to define myself. So uh, the fact that people call me a writer uh, is I'm, I'm almost uncomfortable with that. I don't even like the name altogether because I don't feel like a true writer, especially, uh, when I've been around real writers who do this, uh, and they have the training and expertise to do it. And then you got, you know, yeah. yeah. so that's me. That's how I got here. Uh, and I just kind of right now with the COVID virus and the coronavirus, I wake up and that's all I do is just write stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're married. Yes, been married for 17, well, coming up on 17 years. That's Uh, amazing. And how did you meet your wife? At the time, I was playing music in a Baptist church. I played piano for the congregation, uh, a little church. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, she would come up afterwards uh, and and just kind of talk real short. But we really, truly met, uh, like where we really, truly bit in and and got to really know each other at a church potluck. We had these great Wednesday night potlucks uh, at church. And so, I love it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. where we were. I believe we were eating fried catfish at the time. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, um, your story, it really touched me when I, when I came to the waters. Um, I was touched by how you were able to like capture the the audience by telling a story that had people belly laughing one second. And then the next second, I felt like I was going to burst into tears Um, in in the best way possible. Just the tears that just make you well up and realize that 
life has so much goodness, even in the midst of hard things. And clearly you have walked through some challenging things, but your storytelling ability, the way you are able to tell a story is incredible. And so I'm just kind of curious, like how did storytelling really become such a big part of your life? It was it just kind of something that was natural? Was it something that you grew up listening to folks telling stories? Um, talk to me a little bit about that. I don't really know about that. You know, I, I would say the, uh, the only influence I had as far as storytelling was uh, old men. You know, old men tell stories is kind of what they're known for. They it's kind of, right. you get to a certain age and you've done enough where you got to, I guess, talk about it. And so that's what the old men did. And I loved that. I've never yeah. really considered myself a good storyteller. I don't really know uh, how I, if I'm, if what I'm doing is working or not. Uh, and, and I, I, so I remember the cadence and the way that the old man used to talk. And I try to, I try to think about that, you know, when I, when I am mm-hmm. telling one too, because it's an art form. It's to me, it's an American art form uh, and every region has their own flavor of it and in the south there's a there's a real emphasis on humor uh when you tell mm-hmm. a story there's always humor and so i i just appreciate having had those opportunities to listen as a child to those kinds of stories and i love to to sort of carry that on i don't know how if i'm very good at it but i, I do try to have a good time and when i'm when i'm with an audience i certainly uh I feed off of, of, of their reactions. So I love, I love doing what you just described. That's one of my favorite uh, things to do in the entire world. And I never ever in my entire life thought that this would be something that you do for a career. Like, you know, growing up, you just, I mean, you don't say I'm going to go be a storyteller. That's ridiculous. That sounds, I don't even know if that's really a job. So (laughs) it's not like I I feel kind of weird, uh, even referring to myself that way or, or other people referring to me that way. But I will say uh, when you can tell a story and, and you feel like the people who are all around you kind of were on the same page as you and, and maybe, maybe hopefully feeling just a little bit of what you were feeling. It's a, it's a pretty good feeling. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I grew up, um, in Alabama, in Montgomery, but my dad's family is all from North Alabama and real small town farm. And, you know, growing up for me, it was always like, my family is the family that annoys restaurants because we sit at tables for hours. Um, Mm -hmm. And after being a waitress, I felt bad that we used to do that. (laughs) Um, But I mean, at our house, we sit around the table for hours and it's the same stories over and over and over again. But every single time you tell them, like you feel the same emotion, you know, my grandparents, we would sit on the porch with them. They would tell stories about their grandparents. And I mean, they could tell stories that happened during the reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because their grandparents just, I mean, that kind of stuff just, it wrecks you and it gives you so much more of an appreciation for life. Um, And it's one of the things that I love about storytelling, because when you listen to a story, you hear somebody else's end, you hear how they made it to another side, or you hear how something unfolded and you didn't have to live through it, but you got to hear it to kind of help you live through what you're living through um, and walk through what you're walking through. And that's what I was so touched by with you. because of a lot of what you shared about kind of what you walked through and 
I love the way you you honor your mom um, and you honor just the the life that she has just the way that she spoke into your life and the way that she loved you amidst a lot of tragedy. Um, and just hearing your story, how there was so much hope. There's just so much hope to be had um, amidst all of that. And so um, truly touched by that. But I want to hear a little bit more about maybe your life. Like yeah. you're on the road, okay. you're speaking, you're podcasting, you're living this kind of really fun adventure. So like how in the world did this get started? Because you said you worked all kinds of jobs. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, so the short answer is I have no idea. Like I just, uh, I started writing and uh, people started reading it, which was just bizarre to me. You know, it, was, it still is uh, that anybody. Did gave, you just decide to like start a blog or did you just yes, say? Uh, yes, I started a blog uh, and that came first. That was about, uh, you think, uh, coming up on eight years ago or maybe seven years ago. I'm not real okay. good with numbers. Um, <laughs> and uh, it just worked. It worked. People were writing me all of a sudden, sending me messages and uh, I, I was, I felt like I'd found my sort of thing and I'd never felt that way before. And I've done a lot of things. So I never, I just didn't think I would ever find a thing. So uh, yeah. people were so good to me, so kind to me. So on Christmas one year, I decided I was going to compile all my blog posts and put them into a little book and self-publish it. It's going to be a tiny little book. I mean, like a hundred and some pages, nothing. And they were nothing stories, you know, just little snippets and uh and i said i was going to give it away to to everybody just as a thank you for caring you know and so i yeah. think i printed up 150 of them and uh inside of like five minutes they were all spoken for and so wow. i ordered another box and uh and did you do this like over an email over the blog itself actually over the blog itself okay yep and uh i started getting all these messages i started getting all these things and i I was shipping the books off and then uh, people started sending money in the mail and donating uh, stuff. And they find they'd look me up on PayPal. I didn't even know, you know, I hadn't even put my information out there. They find me paying me, which is weird. And uh, so I kept ordering them and I kept sending them and kept ordering them and kept sending them and, and people kept wanting them and I'd get messages from people who were reading them. And so I did another one and I did another one and, and, and soon, you know, I'd done a bunch of them and, uh, and I was doing this all the time. Then somebody wanted me to come speak. And that was weird. I, I told him over and over again, I said, you don't want me to come speak. This is going to be bad. I mean, I don't speak for one thing. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know how to do this. So uh, they wore me down and they finally got me to come do it. And I, uh, one of my first, very first things was at the uh, Dothan, Alabama library, Houston County public library. Mm -hmm. I went there and I thought nobody's going to, you know, care. Uh, no one's going to show up. This is ridiculous. This is a bad idea. This is stupid. What am I going to do? What am I going to talk about? I don't even have a plan. And uh, the room started to fill up and it kept filling up and it, it just overwhelmed me. Like I was, you know, crying like a baby because uh, all these people were here. And I had never really known them. I'd only, you know, seen their names online or seen them comment on the blog or on social media. I didn't know them. And so right. I got to know them. And then after that, we were, it seemed like maybe within the next few months, we were getting all these emails to come talk. And I just went with it. And uh, 
we've been doing that ever since. We've spent about 85 to 90, 90% of our year on the road. Uh, I, have, I have, you know, gone just about every place. It seems like I've gone to 30 different States last year. That was really odd, but it, you know, it's been fun. It's been fun and, and bizarre in some ways, but fun. Yeah. So what were you doing when you were blogging? Were you, were you working any other jobs at the time or was it just kind of, oh, yeah, a hobby? I, I finally took a plunge when I, uh, at one point in my life, when I was younger, seems like younger, uh, to get out of construction work and just go straight from music. I have always been playing music. So I, I was working, um, in the music scene down here between Pensacola and all the way as far as you can go. Actually. I mean, I was playing even in Georgia and stuff, uh, and oh, I had wow. a little camper that I attached to the back of my truck and I would go drive to gigs and then I'd sleep in that camper overnight if it was a long drive. Um, and I did that full time for a, for a little bit while that blog was starting okay. in the daytimes while I was, uh, in between gigs, I would write, I would write in my little yeah. camper or at home or whatever. And, uh, and so that's, that's why when I do a lot of the, shows that we do uh, we have a lot of we usually have musicians who join us and we do we do a whole big show just because i have such a uh, a big group of of sorry pathetic musician friends who need <laughs> who need the work <laughs> yeah that's so, uh, awesome that's amazing and so this just kind of transformed into you doing what you're doing and you decided to do a podcast with it, which your podcast is a lot like your shows. Am I right about that? Yeah. Is well, it's changed. Like- it's changed recently because of the virus and all that. And we were going on lots of, t- uh, just lots of like, we've been on the road for three weeks at a time. So I yeah. would record, I would re- have these shows recorded and, uh, that's how it started. I feel recorded some of our first ones and he said you ought to record these talks you do the stories you know just put them out there for everybody so we did that and yeah the music and all that and it really really was fun i i i did not like the sound of my own voice and i did not like hearing what came out but it was fun i have to admit and uh, anyway recently we have uh since we're not doing the live shows we have started uh studio shows so that's been really interesting because we've kind of been finding our sea legs with that uh but we've had a huge uh a huge lot of fun doing that getting into a studio with musicians and stuff and and trying to put on a a live show i want it to be fun that's all my my only goal is fun fun. that's that's really the whole the whole thing for me i don't care i don't i don't care how many people are listening to it or if i'm not looking to grow anything i just want anybody who was like me, uh, a younger kid or something to, to tune in and, and have fun. And right. that's what we do. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about like when you were starting to write, you mentioned something about writing as a younger person, maybe like in fifth grade, what kind of spurred you on to start writing as an elementary aged kid and then kind of set in motion more writing in your adult life? I would say uh, there's some things that that you don't choose. They just kind of choose you. You know, you're kind of a uh, you're too young to be making life decisions at that age. So it's you're not really even though you think you've chosen this idea that you're going to write. I think there's more to it than that. I think 
I think there's something higher at work and I think it chooses you writing chooses you music chooses you whatever you know the 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 occupation that's going to kind of hunt you down when you get older is going to be I think it I think it finds you at a younger age so I I feel like it just kind of was natural I just kind of had a typewriter and I'd write these stories and I enjoyed it I loved it I could get lost in fictional worlds and I could uh, just enjoy the process of putting a sentence together and feeling how how the rhythm of words fit. I like that. You know, I like that sort of stuff. And uh, I like to read. I'm, I was a huge reader. And when I dropped out of school, I became even more of a reader because, well, you got to, you got to do something. And uh, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a dumb hick. So I, I probably overcompensated and read all the time and loved to read. Uh, so maybe writing was a natural progression after that for me. Yeah. Um, but Absolutely. it did show up young for me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that season of your life. If you're, if you're okay with it to just about your time when you, when you dropped out of school reading and doing all of those things, what were the things that you were doing in that season of your life? What was that season of your life like? Um, well, did you have a vision was, for what you're doing now in that season of life? No, no, I didn't. It was more just like, let's survive. Uh, it was, I was doing anything and everything to just find myself. I was so just, I was a mess. I was a mess. I, I was just, you know, you go through those awkward years as a child. It's always awkward no matter what, but you go through those and you're kind of reeling from trauma, which we had a lot of trauma uh, mm-hmm. surrounding our, our stuff. It really <laughs> messes with your, perception of life and yourself and so i i, I just kind of tried to get by that's really what we tried to do every day we just tried to survive so i uh look back on those memories from those days and they sting still you know i feel kind of i feel foolish uh, for having dropped out and i feel silly um uh, for a lot of the choices i made of course that's life i guess but uh The things I was doing was just working and trying to uh, find ways to entertain myself. So that's where music kind of really blossomed for me. And uh, I think the reading was born out of a a deep sense of, you know, you really feel dumb when you're hanging around a group of your own peers and they're all in school and you're not. And you go and hang drywall. and you're the youngest guy on the work crew. As long as I was reading and going to the library and getting new books and stuff, I didn't feel below uh, everybody to the degree that I'm pond scum. But you always feel below everybody else. And I always do. I still do. Uh, It's not something you erase. You know, when I'm in a room of people, I always feel below other people. Uh, I've never felt on their equal ground or even I've never felt above anybody. So that's, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. The the affliction of (laughs) lack of confidence, but the reading helped me at least feel like I could have a intelligent conversation with somebody and not be a total doofus. So, um, those it was are kind of maybe, like your saving grace in that time. It kind of gave you that that kind of drive to keep going. It seems like it, it was kind yeah. of your outlet. 
It was. It definitely was. And it was an escape. Uh, you can read and you can just totally disappear. And writing as much that way, too. You right. can immerse yourself in another kind of world and be there really present in that that world. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, so what message, like if you could, if you could tell us a story or just really any message of hope that you would want someone to hear from you specifically today, um, or in any show that you're, that you're doing when you're going and telling these stories, what, what is a message of hope that you would want? What type of message of hope would you want to, to leave with someone that's listening to you? Well, one of my biggest, uh, I don't, first of all, I don't, I don't have a message. That's, uh, that's kind of my firm stance that I don't have a message because people who do, uh, they've got this, they've got a goal. <laughs> and if they have a goal, there's a chance you can't meet the goal. So mm-hmm. I found that when I don't have a goal, I always, there's less not to achieve. So mm-hmm. that means that <laughs> the less of a plan I have, uh, the less I deviate from it. Yeah. So anyway, I don't have a message per se because I don't, uh, I don't feel like I have anything that, you know, enlightening to share with anybody. I, I know I don't have that anything enlightening to share with anybody. The one thing that I believe in uh, is that life is not as heavy as, as we make it and that it is okay to laugh about really bad stuff and it is okay to find the grace notes of humor in certain situations that you find to be extremely heavy or dramatic and that it really is all about in my mind having fun that that that's something i heard from a 94 year old woman and i know it sounds so cliche having fun but she we met in a nursing home i was interviewing her and i asked her just kind of spur the moment what she thought the the meaning of life was I love to hear people's answers on that because they've all got a different one. And she said, and she looked at me just, you know, flat in the eye and said, I think the meaning of life is to just have fun. And at that age, I think she probably knew a whole lot more than I did. And I, I, I've always believed that I believe that it's okay to lighten up and have fun. And especially if you've, uh, going through something tough or going through something tough, I think having fun is a necessity. It really is. It just gets us through. I mean, scripture even tells us laughter, you know, that that's the bet. It really is what changes you. Um, the joy is our strength. And so that's, that is such truth. That's so good. Thank you. Is there any story from, from your personal life that you might be one of your favorite ones? Hmm. I can't think of anything right off hand, but let's see. I, I've got t- plenty. I can, uh, yeah, there's a, <laughs> I, I threw that one on you last second. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. There's a, uh, I would say that there was a time in my life when, uh, we used to, we lived in Atlanta for a hot minute with my aunt and uncle and living in Atlanta was a, uh, it was outside line. It was Jonesboro actually. And, uh, okay. it was a, an adjustment because there were, uh, it was a house full of females, no doubt about it. And, and yeah. uh, <laughs> like nine hours before you could use bathroom. Someone was yeah. always on their, <laughs> their hair. 
And uh, I went out back, and there was kudzu everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. If you walk the back roads uh, <laughs> around yeah. Jonesboro. And I went and I picked a big old thing of kudzu because I was bored one day. And I went and planted it in my aunt's backyard. Oh, no. And then I went and I planted some more on another section, just kind of more of a, as an experiment to see what would happen. And it wasn't but a few months that her entire yard was covered in oh, kudzu. No. And everybody was wondering what in the world, how this happened, because nobody else on the street had kudzu. And it started hopping the fence and and (laughs) growing all over people's yards. And people were, they they formed like a neighborhood committee. And I never told anybody that it was me who had planted that that kudzu. (laughs) So uh, there's one for you. Yeah. Well, one last question that I love to ask, um, and this is one that I, I did not send you in advance, but I want to ask um, everybody that comes on the show is, what to you is something that makes the South so special or being from the South so special hmm. to you? Maybe one of the most special things in the South to me is church ladies there's something in every little town there is a collection of ladies who basically run the town and they know how to put on a spread for food they know how to be hospitable they just they're special special group of people and and everybody knows church ladies wherever i go whenever i mention that word everybody knows what i'm talking about you know it's it's that woman, that, that quintessential woman. I would say that, you know, you don't quite find that same breed. They're everywhere, I know, in the U.S. Right. But in the South, they have a very different flavor, and I really like I really like that. Maybe that, to me, embodies the spirit of the great American South. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I actually told a friend we had a ladies' day at church not that long ago. And, I mean, it was very simple, but I walked into our church building and the ladies that were in charge of the food and the decor, they brought, they all brought their fine china. And mm. we ate chicken salad for lunch together, but they brought their fine china and their glasses and their silver. And they put out this whole spread. I mean, it's, I, I even talked about just our Wednesday night ladies class. I'm the youngest person in the class, but. Every week, there is just something specific that I walk away with that I think there's there is no one, there is not no other group like this group of ladies that I'm sitting in the midst of. Um, their lives and their humor, and um, I mean, our church has a has a they call it the shower committee, and it's just all the ladies that are in charge of making sure that everybody has a baby shower or a wedding shower at our church. Um, huh. and I it's just, it. it's, a, it's a world, it's totally a world and you ha- kind of have to be a part of it to get it. But I mean, of all oh, things, yeah. that is like such a specific thing. And it's so true. It's so uh, it, true. And it's be- it's a beautiful thing to me, uh, because when they get older, they still are the same, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't back away from their duties or nothing when they get older no. they stay good until they die. Usually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know like 90 year old women who are still making deviled eggs for the funerals, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yes. I mean, it's a, it's kind of unbelievable. Our potlucks at our church are, 
I love potluck Sunday. I mean, there's nothing, there is nothing like it. Um, and there's such a wide variety of people that, you know, we have groups, of people that are gluten-free or they're vegan or they're this, but then you've got your like solid homemade fried chicken, you know, the, the lady that always brings her homemade yeast rolls or, you know, anything that you can imagine. And it's a spread that is, whoo, it's so good. It is so good. In fact, today I'm wearing my, um, mayo and tomato sandwich. The bitter southern sandwich, yes, because I'm ready for the summer season for that. But um, my grandfather's the one who taught me how to eat tomato sandwiches, or is he called tomato sandwiches? Yes, Um, there's an art to it. There's an art to it. There is, there is an art to it, and I, you know, I just I remember as a little girl, he would he would tell me like, Laura, going in there, make me a mayo sandwich, and it 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 had to be a certain type of mayonnaise and a ton of black pepper a little bit of salt. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. it was a thing. And I used to eat them with them and I didn't like tomatoes when I was little, but the only way I would eat them is if I was eating them on a mayonnaise and tomato sandwich. And so now wrong. as Can't a grown up, it's like nostalgia, you know? So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so good. It is so good. I, I love your perspective of the South. I love the way that you just love the simple things. Your blog is it's wonderful. Um, just the way you see people, the way that you meet people, um, man, you really are exceptional. And I know that you may not think that about yourself, but you are, and God's really given you an incredible gift of sharing stories and sharing hope with people. You leave people hope filled and joy filled at your shows. I can honestly say my dad was a little bit embarrassed of me when we left your show. Cause I was the person laughing the hardest and the loudest. <laughs> let me tell you i always love the people who laugh hard man that, we need that <laughs> well <laughs> that helps I it go really well yes oh man i was rolling my dad was like stop like you're laughing so loud <laughs> you just <laughs> out a little bit well, but it grateful. was so good it was so good i left to told my husband um how excited i was to hear you again i'm excited about your new book. If you want to tell just a little bit about your book that you just released. Yeah. uh, I'm not a good salesman, so I don't have, you know, I'm not, that's maybe one of the beefs that uh, the whole world has with me is that I don't, I hate to sell stuff. Uh, So this is, it's not as easy as you think getting around talking about your book, but my book is, uh, (laughs) is uh, uh, called will the circle be unbroken. Mm -hmm. Uh, People can look it up, and it's just a memoir about my my little old life. There's uh, not much to it, but it's uh, it was fun to write, and that's been a, a real joy to uh, to get to share that uh, with people. When we did the book tour, uh, I got to meet a lot of people, and yeah. uh, they were all you know very supportive of me. And you talk about humbling; it'll just it'll bring bring it to your knees. Uh, and I can remember the last gig we did. Uh, it was in, it was right outside Birmingham. I think it was Irondale. I can't remember. And and uh, it was a great crowd, big room. And uh, COVID had just really, really taken off in the news. And things were just starting to shut down. And this line of people was forming at the book table because that's just one of those things you got to do uh, at those signings. And, mm-hmm. and my favorite part is, is, signing the book uh not the signing part it's the hug that comes after because i'm a big hugger yeah Yeah. everybody 
in that line, I asked them before we got started, I said, does anybody, you know, here not want a hug? Because, you know, COVID's out and coronavirus and there's, you know, I, we don't have to do that. We can, I can just sign these books and we can keep our distance. And not a single person, not a single person wanted to refuse a hug. And Aww. I had, I had been asking that question since, uh, since like a week before when COVID was first, you know, being mentioned. And I never had a single person want to shake my hand or bump elbows. They all were just as willing to hug no matter what. And so I just, you know, so that's kind of a big fun thing about the book, but the book is called a memoir of learning to be, uh, you're learning that you're going to be okay. And I didn't come up with that name. Uh, the publisher did. And I really liked it because yeah. uh, that's a great, uh, for me, mantra, you know, to remember that, uh, you know, no matter what, you, you're going to be okay. It's hard for me to remember, but I, I do believe it. It's hard so. for me to remember too. And that's kind of the goal of this, of this podcast. I, I've just, my main focus has just been to share stories, um, that are full of hope without fear of the future. Um, believe in what you're doing. do what I said, I believe in what you're doing. Yes, I I believe it too whole, wholeheartedly. And I was so bummed out. Your gig in Montgomery was canceled like right oh, before. Um, I was ready. I was ready. I was bringing my phone. I, I, <laughs> I think we had about 10 days left when the, when the book two got canceled. And we were yeah. running pretty raw. We were very tired. But it, it, uh, it was sad not to be able to finish. I was looking mm-hmm. real forward to Montgomery one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have been your number one fan. Yes, but I was so excited about it. And I, I just finished my book. I've kind of made a rule for myself is you'd finish the book that you're reading before you buy the next one. And so okay. I just finished my book. I'm ready for it. Um, so I haven't read yours yet, but I'm excited about it because the title alone is just, oh. it's, it's full of hope. It's so full well, of I always hope. Tell people I the that. book is an excellent, it's an excellent flash water. It makes a great doorstop. <laughs> You can use it to uh, balance wobbly tables. Wow. What a great salesman you are. That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) See what I mean? I love it. No, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. I'm so excited um, for season two of the Y'all podcast. I determined myself to finish season one and I have, and we're on to season two. So you'll be a part of the season two. Hey, show. that is hard. It is hard. Uh, I, I know I'm doing the same thing you're doing. It is hard to sometimes keep on going through a season. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is so hard. I, I've found myself just like one season's enough. Like I'm releasing an episode every other week. This is fine. And then I'm like, no, you have to finish. Like, just keep going. You can do it. Cause I'm a perpetual quitter. I've said that before so many times. I've just, I start and I don't finish. And so this is one of those projects that I felt like the Lord put on my heart and I'm going to finish. Like I'm going to keep, I can't, I can't stop. So <laughs> anyways, and then the Lord just keeps putting people in front of me that are just exactly what I know are the people that need to be a part of the show or he hands me the story to share by myself. And so Anyways, I thank you so much for being being willing to be on oh, and my, give me your my time. Pleasure. This was the best part of my day, best part of oh, my month. I love inside. it. <laughs> I love it. This has been so much fun. Well, thank you. Doesn't he make you wish you just had a big old breakfast from Cracker Barrel and a warm fire and a hot cup of coffee? If you want to hear more stories, be sure to take a listen to his podcast, Sean of the South. 
or read his daily blog on seanofthesouth.com. Links to all of these places will be found in the show notes at laurabell.co. And if you have time and a few extra dollars, hop over to Amazon and grab his latest book, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Be sure to bring a tissue and be ready to laugh out loud too. That book will change your life, quite literally. Thank you again for listening in. I hope this episode left you feeling full of hope without fear of the future.